Happy St. Pat's to all you Irish out there, of whom I am one. And, uh, you know, come on, Irish guy, you're supposed to give a little bit. Look at the Irish, lucky charms and all that, and my terrible Irish accent, but I'm giving it my best shot, don't you know? Okay. All right, the last 10 years or so, uh, I have had the opportunity of, of just watching uh, Annie Purdue Olson uh, just blossom as a, a minister and as a child of God and seeing how God has used her. Uh, over the last 10 years, she has played uh, a number of important roles. It's almost like any hat we needed her to wear, she'd wear it and she'd wear it well. When there's a role that needed to be played, she'd play it. And she's just been a tremendous blessing uh, to us over the last 10 years. She's, she's one of the reasons why I feel sorry for churches that don't allow women to have any area, move into any area of ministry that they're called to. She has just been a blessing. She has in the last uh, year or two been sensing God calling her in a different direction, not out of Woodland Hills Church at all. In fact, she wants to be freed up to do more volunteer work at Woodland Hills Church and continue to preach. And that's another role that she's been playing the last couple of years, really growing in that area. But she has felt led to uh, be, get off of staff, to no longer be on staff. She wants to spend more time uh, training organizations and coaching uh, coaches and, and things of that sort. Um, so she's not leaving Woodland Hills Church, but she's leaving that position. And so uh, her last day is like in two weeks, and so we asked her to, to uh, come and deliver this morning's message. Don't worry, she's still going to preach from the book of Luke. In fact, she's going to take on the verses that come after the ones we've been preaching on. Uh, we assigned her these texts, uh, but she's got a word for us here this morning. So would you give a warm Woodland Hills appreciation and welcome to Annie Purdue Olson. Annie, be anointed. I love this woman. You're great. God has been doing some really cool things through Woodland Hills, just sitting back and watching that spotlight. And seeing um, what God is doing through us as a community is really exciting for me. And I'm really excited to be a part of it. I'm really excited to be able to share with you today. Um, before I get into the text, one of the things I think I'd like to do is share a little bit about my journey over the last couple of years, um, because I think it'll be relevant as we get into the text of Luke. And um, so I want to just give you a little bit of background. About three years ago, I started teaching the Discover Your Gifts class that we offer here at the church. And what we do in that class is take a look at your spiritual gifts, your natural talents, your personality, your values, and your passions, and all of those things that make up who you are, and then ask the question, what is it that God is calling me to do with my life? What is the mission that he's given me? And as I started to teach that class, it became pretty clear to me that it was important for me to ask myself those same questions. And so that started me on a journey of asking the question, God, what is my calling? What is it that you've called me to do? What is it that you want me to focus my energies on and my time on? And in that, that journey, I really felt that it was important for me to consider the fact that my calling might be broader than Woodland Hills Church. Not to the exclusion of Woodland Hills Church, but that God might have something a little bit broader for me to pay attention to and to get engaged in. It was a little confusing for me at first, but as I began to seek God, that became clearer to me that I have a special set of gifts and experiences that I can really bring to the table in working with other organizations and other leaders to help them become more effective and that God wanted to be able to use that for me. And so I really have felt 
really recently that it's important for me to focus my energies and my time on those things which God has called me to do. And so this opportunity that I'm doing, I will be working with the Bailey Consulting Group and joining them in working with small to mid-sized organizations around leadership development, leadership coaching, designing and developing training programs and facilitating different trainings. And I'm really excited about the opportunity because it really allows me to focus on those things which I feel like God has called me to do right now in my life. Yet I also still feel very connected to this ministry. I'm excited today to have the opportunity to preach and I hope to have many more opportunities like this in the future and to continue to be an active part of this community. So it's time to get into Luke. We've been in Luke 11, so if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. We've been talking about spiritual warfare over the last two weeks, and we're doing this by going through the book of Luke just verse by verse. We're in chapter 11, and we've been talking the last two weeks about the parable of the strong man. Jesus uses this parable to share the story of why he has come. And he has come to take back his father's house. He has come to overpower Satan, who is the strong man, and free us from Satan and reconcile us to God. And he did this by living a life of love. Jesus overcame evil with love because love always triumphs over evil. Sometimes when we're in the middle of the battle, we get confused about the enemy that we're fighting. And in this Western culture, the battle can kind of get complicated because we don't even understand or believe or realize that there are demonic forces that are there coming against us. And so when we ignore that, we shoot in the wrong direction. We don't realize that there's powers and principalities at work and we start shooting at each other. And so Jesus never, never waged war against humanity. Instead, he came against the demons and he came against the powers of this world simply by the way he lived and reaching out with acts of love and overcoming any stronghold that he came in touch with in his ministry. So in the same way, we need to be aware that the spiritual battle is going on and listens to God's voice of what he's calling us to do. As we move forward into the next set of scriptures in Luke, what I want to focus on is our partnership with God, with Jesus, in this battle. He has called us to finish the work that he started when he was here. And so I want to talk a little bit about that partnership. Luke chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of anyone, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in there and live there. And the final condition of the person is worse than the first. Let's pray. Jesus, open our minds and our hearts to hear what you have to share with us today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you will come and just make real to us the message of this text, the message of Jesus. Lord, put it in our hearts. Make it real in our lives. Lord, take whatever is said and however you want to, Lord, open our eyes to see how that applies in our own life, Lord. Anoint what I say, anoint what we hear. Lord Jesus, just speak through us and to us in this time, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. In this next section of scripture, Jesus really emphasizes the significance of our partnership with him. Jesus came to overpower the strong man, 
And then what he did is he divided up the plunder and the possessions of the strong man and he's sharing those with us because that's about commissioning us and empowering us to join him in the battle, to join him in this process. So in verse 23, he starts off by emphasizing, if you are not with me, then you are against me. In fact, if we don't gather with him, then we're actually scattering. As we move into this next text, Jesus is saying very clearly, with a big exclamation point, we can't be neutral. If we don't get in the game, then we're actually working against Jesus. And Satan's strategy is gonna to be to keep us on the sidelines, to try and convince us that there isn't a spiritual battle going on. And if there is, it's not that important. It doesn't affect us. And Jesus in this scripture totally shoots down that line of thinking. There is no life on the sidelines. In fact, if we stay on the sidelines, we're working against what Jesus came to do. So he's calling us to join him in the battle. And we cannot overcome the enemy if we don't engage in this battle fully. So he emphasizes this by another parable, a short story in verses 24 through 26, where he reminds us that the demonic forces that are oppressing this world are affecting our lives and they will not give up easily. And as we engage in this battle for our mind and for our families and for our world, it isn't enough to have our house swept clean. It isn't enough to put everything in order. We just can't stop doing things in a worldly way. We have to start doing things in a kingdom way and living as Jesus did. And sometimes it's just a lot easier to get comfortable in this world rather than believe that there's a very real battle going on with demonic forces coming against us. Rather than resisting the pull of the culture and the values of this world, sometimes we don't even realize how comfortable we've become. So I've titled this message, Are You in the Game? Are you in the game or are you on the sidelines? I remember when I was a kid, we used to play um, a game of freeze tag. Do you guys know what freeze tag is? Okay, so it, the, the, it's really a simple game. What happens is, is that you're running around, you have one person who's it, and everybody else is running around, and the person who's it is chasing them. And when they catch them, you have to freeze in whatever position that you're in when you get tagged, so you're frozen. And then what can happen is all of the other people that are not it and are playing the game, they can come and they can tag you and then you're unfrozen and you can get back in the game. And it's a lot of fun. I have a sister who's a year older than me and a brother who's a year younger than me. And so we used to go in our backyard and play this game all the time for hours on end. And so the thing we had is we added one extra rule to the game. And our rule was that if you got tired, you could go to the two concrete steps on the back porch and you could holler, safe, and you could sit down on the steps and take a little break. Get a little energy back and then jump back in the game and start playing again. So these were the rules that we played with. And my sister being, you know, the big sister that she is and my brother and I being the gullible kids that we were, we got picked on a lot by my sister. And I remember one day when my sister um, decided to, you know, play the game a little bit differently. So we were out there in the backyard and we were playing and my brother was it. And my sister and I were running and every once in a while we'd get frozen and we'd tag each other and get unfrozen again and we were playing for a while and then finally my sister decided she'd had enough. So what she did is she ran over to that safe zone and she hollered, safe! And she sat down on the front steps and then she decided to just stay there. She didn't come back in the game. So I'm out there all by myself. My brother's it. I'm the only one. I'm being chased all over the place. And eventually my brother catches up with me and I'm frozen. So, I'm out here frozen, my brother's it, there's nobody else to chase, 
and my sister is sitting in the safe zone. She's sitting on the front steps. So the game is virtually over and nobody wins because she won't get back in the game. And I'm stuck out there and I could use her help. If she got off the safe zone, she could free me up from being frozen, but she decided that she didn't want to get in the game. She wanted to stay there and I'm frozen out here. And the game is over. Then nobody wins and you can't have fun when somebody jumps out of the game. But really, what the reality is for our life when I think about that is how many times have I run to the safe zone and not gotten back in the game? And I could see the battle going on, and I could see people getting hurt, but I stay on the front steps. I don't go out and unfreeze them because I want to be safe. And sometimes I don't even realize that what the safe zones are. I don't even realize I'm playing it safe. And as I was thinking about this this week, it was like, what? are my safety zones? Where am I choosing to opt out of the battle instead of getting in the game? And I think a lot of it has to do sometimes with the pull of our culture. You see, our culture in the United States of America is kind of an interesting thing because we have different messages, different values that bombard us at all times that push us to the sidelines. And one of the safety zones I was thinking about this week is the pull of the culture to acquire more things. You know what, we have so many good things in this country. We don't often see how these things are pushing us into our safety zones, are keeping us on the sidelines. Even if we don't have a lot of money, the pressure is all around us to acquire more things. So I took a look at some statistics this week. What are some of the US trends around this issue of money? And one of the things that I found is, is that as of August 2007, the U.S. consumer debt had climbed all the way to $2.5 trillion. Now, when I read that, I don't even know how many zeros there are in a trillion dollars. $2.5 trillion, like that's beyond my comprehension. I can't even think of that. You know what, that's $8,200 of debt, consumer debt, for every man, woman, and child in the United States. $8,200 owed by every person in this room and then every person outside of this room. That's incredible. Now here's what stands out to me even more. We're talking about consumer debt. That $2.5 trillion does not include mortgages. It's kind of scary, isn't it? 37% of that is credit card debt and 63% of that is loans like auto loans and student loans. It doesn't even include mortgages. And you know what even scares me more? There is a serious problem in this country if we have that kind of debt. But in 2005, Alan Greenspan actually heralded the financial industry for making changes so that even those with limited means can access credit. So here we're actually rewarding the financial industry for making it possible for people who can't afford things to get in debt for things. That's what we're doing here. You know what's staggering to me is that actually in 2005, uh, the amount of savings in every household in the United States on the average fell to the lowest point since the Great Depression. In 1985, the savings record hit 11.1%. That means that as a family, we were spending 11% less than we were making, which is great because you're saving that much money. Well, in June of 2006, that number was a negative 1.5% which means that we're spending, more than we're, we're spending more than we're making at a negative 1.5%. Debt is a huge problem in this country. 
And so what happens is, is that at the average household in some of these trends, the average household is going to spend 5% of their monthly income on consumer debt. And the staggering thing is, is that they're only going to spend 1.9% on giving on the average. George Barna and some of the research that he's done about giving says that the more money a person makes, the less likely they are to tithe. Families that make $20,000 or a year or less, 8% of those families are giving 10% or more. Of those who make $60,000 or more a year, only 2% are giving 10% or more. So the more we have, the less likely we are to give. It is really tough to get in the game when we're in bondage to things. And Luke 16, 13 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The enemy wants to keep us in bondage, and we need to do some warfare around this. I don't even think we realize that this is warfare here. And certainly we need to track, tackle it in the practical. So we'll be teaching a Good Sense Budget Workshop here in the next couple of weeks, probably sometime in April. And that's a great class. It's an all-day class that really helps people to create a path out of debt. So if some of those statistics are your reality, this class is a great way to try and create a path out of debt. And it's an awesome way to do that. We're also going to have a workshop on the foreclosure crisis in April. Foreclosures are climbing at an astronomical rate right now. So can we look at some of the causes of that and some of the future trends? And then what is our response as believers to that? So there will be a workshop coming up in April for that as well. Keep an eye on the bulletin and call the church office for details on that. If you need a path out, these are some practical ways that you can do that. But we also need to be tackling this in the spiritual realm. We need to pray about this stronghold in our country. We have so many things, so it's the way that Satan is taking these things, these benefits, these blessings that we have in this country, and twisting them into a stronghold. And we need to pray against that for our country. And we need to pray for one another as we try and work to overcome this stronghold in our own lives. I was thinking about other different... Uh, strongholds or safety zones that I run to in my own life. And I think over the last 10 years, as God has really been shaping me and growing me into the leader that I am today and to doing what he's called me to do, sometimes one of the things I get really wrapped up is in my own stuff. Well, you know, maybe I don't have what it takes. And I think being a woman has sometimes been a challenge for me. Maybe a woman shouldn't be in the pulpit. And in some, time, in some churches, that's a very strong thing. So maybe I just don't have what it takes to be able to do what God has called me to do, to get into the game. Maybe I'm too young. Maybe I've done something in my life that disqualifies me from being able to really engage in this battle. Maybe I won't be able to, to measure up. Maybe there's just too much chaos going on in my life. But you know what? Sometimes the best way to clean up that chaos, the best way to counteract the lie that we are disqualified is actually to take the step, to take the risk and let go of those excuses and really begin to give and serve others, to get in the game. Often it's our very struggles and it's the limitations that we have that God can use in a really incredible way to defeat the enemy. I think of some of the struggles that I faced in my life and how God has now turned them around and allowed me to be able to use them to help others and how he's used those experiences to transform me. I have a quote here from Gandhi. That faith is of little value which can flourish only in fair weather. 
Faith, in order to be of any value, must survive the severest of trials. The enemy wants to, us to see ourselves as defeated. He wants to take the trials and the struggles that we've had in our life and say they disqualify you from the game. And we are actually going to remain defeated unless we make the choice to get in the game. And when we get in the game, our faith is strengthened and God comes through for us. You know, I was also thinking a little bit about my own story and what God is doing in my life in terms of making this transition. And I think over the last couple of years, I've noticed that I've been getting busier and busier and busier with doing lots of really good things. I don't know if you guys have that trouble, um, but there's a lot of really good things to do in the world. And so I found myself getting really, really busy. And I think simplicity is really about creating the capacity in our life, the time and the space and the energy in our life so that we can have a strong relationship with God and that we can engage in real community with one another. And as we engage in the kind of biblical community that we see in scripture, then we can together accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us as his body. But when we get so busy with so many things in our life, it's a little difficult for us to do that. We get so pressured by all of the stuff that we have to do that it becomes noise and we can no longer hear God's voice. We no longer see the opportunities or the situations that present to us. This became really like pronounced to me um, a couple of months ago, probably about a month ago. It was kind of a crazy week. My son had a science project due on Thursday and I had to help him with that and it was $10, 10 days leading up to that. And then the next day after that, he had a all day field trip that J.A. Biztown right across the street here. And so I was with him all day for that. And then turn around on Monday and he had a demonstration speech due. Now in the middle of all of that, I'm working two jobs and I'm a full-time student. And I am married. <laughs> Somewhere in there I have a husband. My life was so crazy and when I was going through all of those experiences and having to try and get all of these extra projects done for my son on top of everything else that I was doing, I just heard the Holy Spirit say, stop. They were all really good things. They were all really good things. But the Holy Spirit is saying, stop. I was at a place where I did not even have time to notice any strongholds of the enemy. Because right now, I just have to look at my calendar and be at the next place at the next time. Somebody sitting right next to me at work might be hurting and I can't even notice it. I can't notice it because I'm so busy thinking about the next thing that I gotta get to and the next thing that I gotta do. And part of the decision that I am making in my life right now is to say, stop the craziness. Focus on what God has called you to do. There are so many good things out there we can choose to do. But stop and listen. What is it that God is calling you to do? And stop using the busyness to keep us on the sidelines and keep us in the safe zone. It's time to get in the game. And the only way to get in the game is to be able to hear God's voice and know what he's telling you to do and what role you're called to play in the game. I think also about um, how comfortable I get over time. And I think this is a, a safe zone that we also have in our lives, is just getting too comfortable. Um, three years ago for Christmas, I got a new pair of sneakers. And I don't wear tennis shoes very often. And so it was really my first pair of sneakers. If I did have tennis shoes before, it was like $10 ones at Target just in case I needed them for some reason. Um, but I never wore them as a part of my wardrobe. So I got this Christmas gift and they're really nice sneakers. I'm wearing them today. They don't look so nice anymore because it was three years ago. 
but they're really comfortable. And the reality is, is that I've become quite accustomed to these sneakers and I like them an awful lot. But they've started to get holes where the shoe and the sole come together. And so when I go walking in the snow, you know, it melts and it seeps right into my socks and makes them all nice and wet, not very pretty. So I decided it's probably time to get some new sneakers, right? So my dad gave me $50 for Christmas and I thought, all right, I'm gonna go out shopping for new sneakers. I'm getting new sneakers. Um, and I've been to about a half, and do half a dozen stores and I've tried on about three dozen pairs of shoes and none of them fit quite right. You know, they aren't very comfortable. You put them on and you walk down and you're going, eh, uh-uh. You put back on your other shoes and it's like, ah, these feel good. I can walk in these. These are really comfortable. You know what? Maybe, you know, a little wet socks not is such a bad thing. Someone after the Saturday night service said, try duct tape. That'll work. <laughs> I really, really like these shoes. They're really very comfortable. And the thing of it is, is that I think, um, I still haven't gotten new shoes, by the way. I got to work on that. They're so comfortable, I don't want to give them up. Um, and I think that's the way it is for us in life a lot of times, is we really get comfortable with the way things are. And I was thinking about this, and you know, after being a pastor at Woodland Hills Church for 10 years, I'm pretty comfortable in that role. And you know what, I'm doing some really cool kingdom stuff. I'm getting to be a part of a really neat community. Um, and it's really easy for me to be comfortable. I know what the expectations are. I know what the job is. I know what I'm supposed to do. But if I stay where it's comfortable, then I surrender what God wants for me. I surrender what he's called me to do and what he started to call me to do two years ago. And if I do that, I can tell you over time I won't be so comfortable. God does not want us to settle for comfortable. I got a quote here from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort but where he st stands at times of challenge and controversy. We are called out of boring, comfortable Christianity. Jesus wants us to leave behind the old sneakers, the old ways of this world, and he wants us to get in the game. And when we enter into the game, we need to enter in fully because we can't be naive about the fact that uh, there are demonic forces out there and they are working against us and they're going to try and pull us back to the sidelines. They're going to try and pull us back into those safe zones, whatever those safe zones may be for us. And we have to be prepared to resist the enemy. So I want to go back to the text here again because we've been talking about this get in the game. If you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering. And after Jesus finishes saying that, he tells a short story. Luke 11, 24 to 26. When an evil spirit comes out of anyone, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Jews in the first century believed that the home of the demonic was the desert. The desert or the wilderness represented a threat to security. And when there is a deliverance, an evil spirit will flee, but they will continue to seek a dwelling place. So they seek a dwelling place in the desert, um, but if they don't find rest there, if they don't find a host, uh, they will come back and seek that dwelling place. 
We see this also in Luke 8, in the story of Jesus casting out the demon named Legion from a man. The demons begged Jesus not to send them into the abyss where there was no dwelling place. He asked them to send them into the pigs instead. So when we are in battle with the enemy, even when we're trying to overcome the enemy, these powers will seek and return and try to overpower us once again. It's not enough to just clean the house and put everything in order. We need to be filled with Jesus. We need to replace the lies that we have embraced, the pressures of this culture that have given us faulty thinking and lies. We need to replace that with the truth. We need to replace the values of this world with kingdom values. So we live in a war zone, and Satan is using every demonic or human force possible against us to keep us on the sidelines. And a few years ago, I really lived this experience in my life, and God showed me very vividly and very clearly the lies of Satan that were holding me in bondage and were controlling my life over and over and over again. I um, had been going through a really, really difficult season in my life, some pretty significant tragedy that I'd experienced, and it had been about a season of about two years. And uh, during that time, because I was struggling with so many different things and trying to keep the chaos of my life in order, I chose to start uh, using food as a comfort. It was really an unconscious decision at first. Um, And I started eating because when I would eat certain foods, I would feel more at peace, more at rest. um, And I found some source of comfort in that. But making that choice soon leads to a habit, and that habit um, soon has consequences, and I gained quite a bit of weight in my life. It didn't happen all right away, but I soon did notice it. And I decided it was time to do something. So the scale that I left up here from first service is mine. I went out and bought a scale. I said, all right, I'm going to tackle this weight thing. And I started to figure out different ways that I could eat. Um, I started trying to exercise, trying different things, talking to people about it. And everything I tried seemed to fail. No matter what I did, when I stepped on that scale the pounds kept coming on, or they wouldn't go off for sure. No matter what I tried, it just didn't seem to work. I didn't seem to have the willpower that it took to stick it out and to follow the rules of the game that you need to follow in order to be able to lose weight. I just couldn't do it. I started to develop some health problems, and so I went to the doctor to get checked out, and he was just very clear about the fact that if I did not tackle this problem, it was going to have some long-term consequences for me and that I was on the road to diabetes and high cholesterol, and if I didn't get it taken care of, if I didn't tackle this problem of weight in my life, I was going to have some more serious problems than what I had. You would think that would scare you enough to do something about it, don't you? Maybe for about a month. (laughs) Maybe about five pounds. Um, And then it came right back on for me. I just... Finally, I decided, oh, I'm not even going to step on the scale anymore. I'm done. You know what? This is just the way it is. I'm going to accept this as part of my life. And I'm just going to be defeated by it. You know what? There it is, the scale. Yeah. (laughs) And you know what? That attitude started to pervade my life. And one day I was talking with a couple of my friends, and we were talking about um, my health problems. And so... I was talking with that attitude of defeat as I was talking about some of the struggles I was going through. And the friends I were with, they tried to be really encouraging to me. And that was a good thing. Um, But a couple days later, one of my friends came to me. And she said, 
Annie, I just feel like from our conversation a couple days ago, I need to talk to you about something. I feel like God is telling me I need to talk to you about something. When you were talking, you sounded so defeated. And it just doesn't make sense because of everything that you've been through in the last two years and everything that Satan has thrown at you. You've come against it and you've fought it and you've had victory over the enemy. And it just doesn't make sense that in this area, you're, you're letting Satan have the victory. And when she talked, it was such a beautiful thing because I like heard Jesus' voice coming through her. And it wasn't about her, but it was about Jesus. And Jesus, his voice was so filled with love and compassion. There was no judgment there. It wasn't like, well, what are you doing wrong? And how come you're not doing it right? It was all about, Annie, I have seen you overcome things that are amazing. I have seen you fight battles that are really the enemy has had you and you've won. It just it doesn't make sense with what I know about who you are, that you're letting Satan have victory in this. So I had to ask myself the question, what is it about this situation that I am letting Satan have the victory here? And what I realized, the light bulb that came on for me in that moment was that I had never looked at this situation as spiritual warfare. I'd never seen it as a demonic stronghold in my life. Because the reality was, is I was, the, I was the one who chose to eat the way I ate. I was the one who chose that lifestyle. And so it was my problem. I needed to figure out my way to get out of it. But the reality was, it was a very much a stronghold in my life. And maybe the first time I chose to eat, eat that kind of food and the habit that I developed, certainly those were all my choices. But now Satan had taken that habit and he used it to keep me in bondage. And so I had a new picture and a new mindset in my mind. And so instead of just tackling how I ate and choosing how to eat differently, and instead of just choosing how to exercise, I still did all of those things. I had a new picture in my mind. And I had a new relationship with my scale in my mind. So instead of seeing that scale as my enemy, I decided to see that scale as my partner in the spiritual battle. And every time I step on that scale, I am stepping on Satan's head. I'm having the victory here. I'm not let Satan, I'm gonna let Satan have this victory in my life. And that what it was for me was about the mindset that switched. The lie that I was believing that I was defeated. The lie that I was believing that it wasn't a spiritual warfare, it wasn't a spiritual battle and I could get out of it on my own. I got rid of that lie. Replaced it with the truth and the truth is that Jesus has already had the victory and that Jesus has given me the weapons of warfare to be able to fight the enemy about this stronghold in my life. Really, it becomes a battle of the mind. When we allow our thinking to be influenced by the values of the world or by the enemy, it leads us to choose a behavior. A simple choice, a simple choice at first, but that behavior leads so, so quickly to a habit. And the habits then start to define our character. They start to define how we define ourselves. I def started defining myself as defeated. And then they soon begin to drive our destiny. We start simply by making a decision based on what we believe. But in time, that decision makes us. So to undo that cycle, we need to start with the mind, with our thoughts and with our beliefs. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Jesus gives us access to weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we have the power through Jesus to take every thought captive. He's calling us to break the cycle, to tear down the strongholds and to get in the game. And we do that by knowing that Jesus came already to defeat the strong man. The strong man is defeated and he has asked us to join in the game. And it means knowing that we join in the game with the power of love. Love always overcomes evil. To fight the battle, we show God's love to each other and to our neighbors and to our enemies. The power of love triumphs over evil. We have to be aware that there are powers and there are principalities that will be coming against us. They are influencing our world. And our enemy is not each other. We need to be fighting the spiritual battle and confronting the strongholds with the way that we live by living just as Jesus lived. And to do that, it means that we're going to have to leave our safety zones. We're going to have to resist the pull of the culture and the lies of the enemy. And we're going to have to engage in the battle of the mind, taking every thought captive to Christ. If we get in the game, our life is going to be changed. You know why? Because we're going to become more like Jesus. If we get in the game, the result of that is always becoming more like Jesus. A couple years ago, there was a couple at Woodland Hills Church, and they had a really nice house with all the nice toys. But he was working 80 hours a week. And their marriage was falling apart, and they just simply were not very happy. One weekend, they were challenged by a sermon about simplicity in life, and they decided to simplify. So he took a demotion at work so that he could be home more, which meant less pay. So they sold their house and they moved into the city. They worked very hard to free up as much of their income as they could to actually minister in their neighborhood. And that is a beautiful blessing, a beautiful kingdom thing in and of itself. But what was really amazing is, is that as they ministered together, God healed their marriage. The stronghold was broken in their own life when they decided to get in the game. Ralph Waldo Emerson, I have a quote. It is one of the most beautiful compensations in this life that no man can sincerely try to help another without also helping himself. God is real to us to the degree that we need him to be. And if we stay in the safe zone, we don't need God to be real. But if you're in the battle, God's going to show up. And he's not only going to do amazing things through you, but he's going to do amazing things in you. My final quote for the day, from John Ruskin. The highest reward for a man's toil is not what he gets for it, but what he becomes by it. When we get in the game, the rewards are amazing because God shows up. But what's the most amazing thing about it is that he transforms us into his disciples. And we are called to be his disciples. As we pray, I want you to think about what it is that is your safe zone? What is the thing that's keeping you on the sidelines over here? What is that? And ask God to reveal that to you. I'm going to give you just 10 seconds of silence to really just engage and open that conversation with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, come right now into this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just flow throughout this place right now and show us what are the things that are keeping us on the sideline? What is preventing us from getting in the game? Reveal that to us now. Holy Spirit, speak to us.
Jesus, as we leave this place, I ask that you will just make that more clear to us. Open our eyes to be aware of those strongholds that the enemy has in our life, the things that he's using to push us to the sidelines. Make them real to us so that we see them so clearly. And Lord Jesus, I just ask right now that as we walk from this place, that you will show us how to come against these strongholds in our life and how to get in the game and how to join with others that are around us to be able to get in the game and solicit their help and support in fighting the enemy. Jesus, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much what you're doing in each one of us and I thank you so much for what you're doing with this community. Lord, as we go from this place, continue to speak to our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. If you have a need, I'd like to invite you up to come and pray with one of our altar workers. If you're feeling like, gosh, I know what my safety zone is, but I have no idea what to do, come forward and have us pray with you to continue the work that Jesus started today. Thank you very much.